Heavenly Father, we all just come in agreement together to just hear from you uh, and get questions answered. That uh, Father, I thank you that we would be changed, that we would uh, your word would give us a uh, light to make course corrections in life, not just be challenged, but be changed. And Father, if I mess it up in the saying, please just fix it in the hearing before it goes downrange. And I thank you for utterance and the anointing. And I submit myself to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. Rules of righteousness. We're working on uh, rule number seven. Righteousness regards the beneficiary or the heir as the real owner. And it's really mine, part seven. Because we're talking about our inheritance. Now, first thing I want to do is let's get our uh, legal definition of heir out of the way. So we have a jumping off point. Anyone who acquires property upon someone's death, which is based upon the rules of descent and distribution... An heir cannot be identified until the person leaving the property dies because the heir apparent may pass away first. Upon adoption, a legally adopted child gains the right to be an heir as if he or she were a natural child of the adopted parents. Religion has tricked us into thinking that we'll be an heir after we die. That's just totally wrong. You are an heir after someone else dies and leaves you the stuff. Okay? So Jesus was the one that died. He left us our inheritance. We get it now, not after we die. You're an heir when someone else dies, not when you die, okay? Now go to Titus 3. This is our jumping off point for the last seven, eight weeks. And uh, Titus 3 and verse 5. And it says this, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, which is self-righteousness, right? Where you're trying to do your checklists. He says, no, it's not that. He said, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And if you look at this, I, 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 we spent a lot of time on this a couple weeks ago, but it says he saved us by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Being saved is a byproduct of being born again. Okay, if you're just living in I'm saved, that's a lower level than living I'm born again. Okay, and we're going to see that heavy today, really, so we can understand who we are in Christ. Which, in verse 6, it says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified... Wherever you see the word justified, it means this, that you get a winning judgment under the rules of righteousness. Being justified, you get a winning judgment. By His grace, we be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we looked at this in great detail, that that word life is zoe, it's the life of God. It is not bios, it's not natural life. Once you, once you are born again, you be made heirs, and you have eternal life, and that word eternal is perpetual. Remember we talked about a perpetual gas tank, it's always on full? Wouldn't that be great? You never have to fill your tank up because it's always automatically being refilled. That's what the Zoe life of God is. You get eternal life the second you're born again. You don't get eternal life when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts the second that you accept Jesus. Okay, and it's the life of God that's on the inside of you. You have the same thing on the inside of you keeping you alive as keeps God alive. Can God die? No. Is there anything that can distinguish God's life? He's got that same life. He put it in you. So it's not your heart beating anymore that keeps you alive. It's not your lungs pumping air. Okay, it's not how, what food you eat or water you drink. You, that's why you can be bulletproof. Okay, that's why you can have supernatural protection because they can't. No man can take your life from you. No thing can take your life from you. Jesus said, "I lay down my life and I take it back up again." And He says, "I give you that same life, Zoe, life of God. It's on the inside of you." Okay. Now the next thing is inheritance, and um, here's the legal definition of inheritance: it's the money and/or property received upon a relative's death due to the laws of descent and distribution, even when a will doesn't exist. Commonly, the term inheritance refers to anything received from an estate of someone else who's or someone who has died. So here again, the same thing. You get your inheritance when someone else dies, not when you die. Okay? And we're studying what our inheritance is in, in Ephesians 1. And we've been camping out here for several weeks in Ephesians 1. 
And uh, we're going to start off, if you flip to Ephesians 1, we'll start off in verse 15. And we'll try and get a running start at this. Apostle Paul says this, Wherefore I also... And then you can just put in parentheses after that, this part where he says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and loved all the saints. That's a side thought. So just put in parentheses and we're just going to like not read that part when we're just going to jump over it, okay? Wherefore I also cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you, of you in my prayers. He says, wherefore I also cease not to give thanks, and I'm praying for you. Well, who's he hooking up with? And we saw in just the verse before it was the Holy Spirit, and that's the down payment of our inheritance, the earnest of our inheritance, Right? So he and the Holy Spirit are praying this prayer for us. Now, if the Holy Spirit's praying it for you, he's making intercession on your behalf, and Paul's praying it for you, probably we should be praying it for ourselves, right? Okay, so we have that written down back there. You can get a copy of it, and you can put your own name in there, and where it says you, I say me, and you say me. And you know what else? It's a really good prayer to pray for somebody else. Because if it's good enough for God to intercede on behalf of somebody else, it's probably good enough for you to intercede on behalf of somebody else, right? Okay, we're just going to imitate God. All right, here's what he says. He said that the God, in verse 17, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, anybody getting that yet? The Father of glory, if you've been here a couple weeks, you're going to start understanding what glory is. May give unto the Spirit, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, revelation knowledge of Him, and the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know, and that word know is know and experience. He just doesn't want you to know it. I know a lot of guys that know stuff, but they don't experience it. He wants you to know and experience what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And the next one is exceeding greatness of his power, which we're not at yet. We talked about the hope of his calling, and now we've been stuck. I don't know how many weeks we've been stuck on this. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, whose inheritance? His inheritance. We're getting it now. But where's his inheritance? In the? Okay, now we know he's the king of kings, right? We're the kings that he's king of. Okay, that's his inheritance. Otherwise, without us, he'd just be king. And king of what? Lord of what? No, he's got to be king of some kings. He's got to be lord of some lords. That's his inheritance. So when we live like, you know, uh, I, I use the word ragamuffins, right? When we live like ragamuffins, we can't pay our bills, we're sick all the time, we're ripping Jesus off of his inheritance. When we don't reign as kings, what he did uh, for us, we're not taking advantage of, we're not living to the fullest, of, and we're ripping him off of his inheritance. Okay? So how dare us Live just as a worm in the dirt for Jesus, because you're not living as a worm in the dirt for Jesus. You need to live as a king for Jesus, because that's what his inheritance is. Okay? Now, we started on what glory means, okay? And I made this statement, can you give anybody anything if you don't have it? So can you give God glory if you don't have any glory? Mm -mm. And glory is not just going, oh, I give God glory. No, that's praise. Okay? And I broke down about 15 things of what glory is. Okay, and you can think up more on your own um, time, but I, these came out of, you know, I looked at the Greek, I looked at the Hebrew, and then my own experiences as a federal agent where I got to deal with heads of state and see what their levels of glory were. Okay, and I put that all into one, kind of threw it in a pot, and then this is what we, what we came up with. Wealth was the first thing. If you want to get in the club of glory, you've got to have wealth. If you don't have wealth, you've got no glory. None. Zero. You've got to have some kind of wealth in order to get in the club of glory. Right? The next thing was you have an entourage. An entourage. And we saw that there's 100 million angels around the throne. That was God's entourage. But we also saw that those angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. That's us. And we also saw that we are each other's entourage. Amen? We go, man, when we get in a fight, we get in a fight with all of us. You, you fight with me, you're fighting with all you. When you guys get in a fight, we're bringing all of our friends with us, our family with us. That's what, that's what the local body's all about. All right, the next one was commerce. Creating and moving wealth. 
excuse me. Now we saw the U.S. is real. Oh, Saudi Arabia is my example. They're great at wealth. They've got oil. They don't have any commerce, and when their oil runs out, they're going to be pretty much just a big sandbox, a giant kitty litter box thing over there, whatever. Right? But the U.S., we don't have really like one thing that makes us wealthy. What we're really good at is commerce because we create wealth and we move it. And that's why we're such a powerhouse. And commerce, we saw, goes really hand in hand with the next one, which is military power. That's how come our military is so good because we've got good commerce. And then we saw, we kind of saw in the Old Testament where every time God uh, wanted to transfer wealth or move wealth, because that's what commerce is, is moving it to, to the children of Israel, they'd get into a military battle. And usually they were outnumbered two or three to one. So I made this statement. Get happy if you're in a fight because God's fixing to transfer wealth to you. That, that's what the fight's all about. Because he's not going to steal it because God's not a thief, but he's got to set you up to, in order for you to get it. And yeah, there's some stuff we have to do. We've got to cooperate with him. There's going to be a fight because God's not ripping anybody off, but he needs to get the wealth from the sinner to the just. That's what that's all about, okay? Then we looked at wisdom, which is supreme intelligence and skill, promotion and superiority. And we looked at the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how... Um, he gave them wisdom. God gave them wisdom. And because of that, they got promoted. And, uh, and he said it made them superior. They were ten times better than the wisest guys on the planet. So when you ho- is that part of your inheritance that you're superior? Yeah, if you have the life of God on the inside, it's impossible for you not to be superior to somebody who doesn't. It says you're a whole new species of being. You're not just a, you know, a human being anymore. You've got the life of God on the inside of you. Okay? Then last week we talked about dignity and authority. And uh, dignity was how we uh, carry ourselves. As the representatives, we're ambassadors for Christ. If we're kings, right, then we should act like we're kings. No matter what the situation is, we have our shoulders up and our, you know, and our neck straight. Why? Because we have dignity. We start comporting ourselves with dignity. And I said, that, you know, in the military, we call it presence, right? And, and when I was a uniformed cop, if I walked into a room and my uniform was squared away and my shoulders were back, automatically my authority would be deferred to just by my presence, okay? A lot of times, 90% of the time, because of my dignity and how I carried myself, my authority wouldn't be questioned. So that other 10%, then we looked at authority last week, and we saw that Jesus had all authority given to him in heaven and earth, and he turned around and gave us all the authority in the earth. Okay, and he can't take it back. We saw that. Once he gives it to you, he couldn't take it back. So if you're having any problem with the devil, you're having any problem with it's not God. He didn't do it to you. You have to take care of it. He authorized you to deal with it. Okay, you have complete authority over it. All right, now we're going to start on nobility this week. Nobility. All right, nobility is this. It's incorruptibility, it's being unimpeachable, and it's blameless. So you're incorruptible, you're unimpeachable, and you're blameless. That's a pretty good deal. Now, Jesus, is he incorruptible? Is he unimpeachable? Is he blameless? Are you incorruptible? Yeah, are you blameless? Are you unimpeachable? Yes, you are. And we're going to show you that in the scriptures. Wes is like, I don't know, man. I'm, I was thinking about some stuff last night. Now, it's all right, Wes. It's all good, buddy. Look in 1 Peter 1. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. For as much. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the verse. 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. It says this. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. You all know that we weren't bought with silver and gold, right? Nothing corruptible. We are bought with incorruptible. From your vain conversation, you received by the tradition of your father. That word vain conversation means ineffective lifestyle by the tradition of your fathers. 
I know 90% of the body of Christ has an ineffective lifestyle because they're living by the tradition of their fathers. He says, you're not like that. Don't be like that. He says, but what, how are we redeemed? Not by tradition, not by our denominations, not by whatever man thinks. Here's what we're redeemed. By the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, he was manifest 2,000 years ago, and he said that was the last times. So, I mean, we're a lot closer to the end of the last times than they were then. Who, by him, do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and your hope might be in God. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, small s, Unto unfeigned love. See that, that little phrase right there where you purified your souls in obeying the truth through your spirit? We've been talking about this on Friday. When you listen to your spirit and you get your mind renewed, that's when your soul, your mind will start obeying the truth through your spirit. Because your spirit deals with the truth, your mind will talk to you in facts. But he says you purify your mind by dealing with the truth through your spirit, your conscience. Okay? Under what? Unfeigned love. We started talking about this unfeigned stuff on Friday too. It's not fake love. Un- unfeigned means real. Feigned means fake or counterfeit or imitated love. See, as a byproduct of you listening to your spirit and having your mind renewed to the word, you will automatically walk in love. It won't be fake love. You won't have to put it on. It's not counterfeit. It's not Im- You automatically do it. You don't have to worry about walking in love. It's going to be a byproduct of you listening to your spirit. Okay? Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, pure conscience, fervently. See how this stuff intertwines? Wow. Okay. Then look at this. This is, where, this is really where I want to talk about today. Verse 23. Being born again, not... Everybody say not. Of corruptible seed. Not of corruptible sperm. It's going to be, we're going to put it, this is really what that word means in the Greek. It's the, you're not born of corruptible sperm. You were born again of incorruptible or noble sperm by the word of God, which lives, and that word is zoa, which abides in you forever perpetually. You were not born again. So when you were born again, you weren't born again of incorruptible, or you weren't born again of corruptible sperm, but of incorruptible sperm. When you got born again, the Holy Spirit mixed with your spirit and your DNA became God's DNA now. The, the sperm of the Holy Spirit mixed with the egg of your spirit when you got born again. That's what being born of the Spirit is. Look into Acts 17 so like we can kind of look at this a little better. Acts 17, 28. For in Him we live. That's the life of God. In Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not think that the Godhead is like unto gold, silver, stone, graven by art or man's device. He said you are the offspring of God. That word offspring is this in the Greek, genos. That's where we get the word genes, genotype, DNA. You have the exact, you're the offspring of God. You have the DNA of God on the inside of you when you got born again. He said, that's how you live, move, and have your being because you have the DNA of God on the inside of you. You're his offspring. You're his genotype. Okay, if we could split our spirit and we could take a cell out of our spirit 
and we took a cell and we did a DNA test on that down at the CSI lab, right? And then they, took, they did some from God and they put a C, and they run it through the and then boom, oh, this guy's God. He's in the God family. You have the DNA. We're just reading the Bible. You have the DNA of God on the inside of you. Okay? You're of incorruptible. You're of noble seed. Noble. When you were born again, you're noble now. So, not just, you know, oh, you know, um, Christians are, you know, we're not perfect. We're just forgiven. Wrong. Everybody's forgiven. Read your Bible. God doesn't hold anything against the planet. All right. You got, uh, somebody's got a question about this. Look it over in Galatians 4. Let's see if we can, I'm just going to, could go with God right here because I'm looking Galatians 4. <clears throat> In verse 4, it says this But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, wait a minute. How are we the adoption of, how are we adopted sons if we have God's DNA on the inside of us? Because if you're adopted, you don't have the same DNA. Right? So what is it talking about? Let's go to Colossians Colossians 1. Verse 18. Well, let's back up to 16. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. Everybody know we're talking about Jesus now, right? And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. For he is the head of the church, or the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have the preeminence. The firstborn of the dead. Now, I've always been taught that that was the resurrection. Oh, he's the firstborn, he's the first one that was resurrected. Well, that can't be, that's not true, first off, because if you're born, it has nothing to do with resurrection. Resurrection means you're just raised from the dead. If that's what it meant, they would have said, well, he was the first one resurrected, the first one raised from the dead. He was the firstborn from the dead. Um, Father, help me out with this one. Lazarus, do you all remember Lazarus in John 11? Jesus wasn't the first one resurrected. Not only Lazarus, he was, in the, he was in the grave for four days. Jesus was in there for three. So Jesus is definitely not the first guy that was ever resurrected. And, and Lazarus was in the grave a lot longer than Jesus was. I mean, his sister said, when Jesus said, open up the tomb, she said, surely he stinks by now. Let's not go there. He's decomposed. He must be hamburger. Who know, You know, larva and maggots are eating him out. What are you talking about? Because they didn't have like embalming fluid and all that back then. All right, so he can't, he's not the first one. So what's this mean, the firstborn from the dead? Firstborn from the dead. What's that have to do with us? We'll hook it up here in a minute. Firstborn from the dead. Look over in Romans 5. Romans 5 and verse 12. It says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So when Adam sinned, death was passed on to all men. He said the whole entire human race was dead. Now, we know we're not because we're all sitting here in the room and we're all humans. There's six billion of us, so the human race didn't die. So how could they be dead? Because what happened was Adam and Eve were created. When Adam was created, he was a spirit, living spirit, soul, and body. But Adam sinned, and his spirit died. His body and his soul didn't. 
And that's why people in the world, they don't separate soul and spirit anymore because their spirit's dead. So when they say, oh, he's thinking with his heart and not his head, what they mean is he's thinking with his emotions and not his intellect. It's all soul. The entire human race, it's spiritually died. They have no more spirit after Adam. The whole race was dead. Dead. So now Jesus was the firstborn of the dead. Well, that doesn't make sense because we know that Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. He was the firstborn of the dead. So what is this talking about? No, Cain was the firstborn of the flesh. Look in John 3 real quick. John 3. And verse 5. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Cain was the firstborn of the dead, born of flesh. He still didn't, his spirit still wasn't alive. He's still part of that dead human race. Jesus was the firstborn of the spirit from the dead. Now, what does that mean to listen? You know when Jesus said, you've got to be born again? We did have to be born. We have to be born again because we were born of the flesh. Then we decide whether we're going to be born of the Spirit or not. It's a choice we make. Jesus was born of the flesh and born of the Spirit at the exact same instant. He, was, he didn't have to get born again. His Spirit was, he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the first one that was born of the Spirit from this human race. Because Adam, his Spirit was alive when he was created, but he was never born. He was created. So Jesus was the firstborn of the Spirit from the dead. Okay, flesh and spirit, he had them both going. Look over, and I'll show you this. Look over in uh, Matthew 1. Now, because Jesus was born of the spirit, his father was God. He had DNA from God in his spirit. Now, I want to find out who is his natural father. Who is Jesus' natural father? Matthew 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Hear how it was, guys. Listen to this. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together... That means they didn't have sex yet. Let's put it out, you know, we don't want to get it mixed up. It says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. It says in the Greek that the Holy Ghost made her pregnant. Who was Jesus' natural father? The Holy Spirit was Jesus' natural. He got his natural DNA. He was born of the flesh. He had his natural DNA from the Holy Spirit, and he had his spiritual DNA from the Father. Born of the Spirit, born of the flesh at the very same time. Now, Jesus, when he came here, he had to do everything that he did as the man, as son of man. He called himself Son of Man. He had to do everything he did on this planet as a man. What made him the Son of God was the fact that he was born of the Spirit, too. Now, his natural father was the Holy Spirit, so he kind of that's where he gets to jump on us. His physical DNA came from the Holy Spirit and Mary, but his spiritual DNA came from the Father. When we got born of the Spirit, we have the same Father. Now, what about this adoption business? What happens is when you get born again, we're already born of the flesh, and I'm the son of Fred Whitman. I've got his natural DNA on the inside of me, okay? When I got born again, now I have God's DNA in my spirit, and in my flesh I still have natural DNA from Fred Whitman. So I'm not really totally the son of God like Jesus was. Because remember in John, 1 John 4, 17, it says, As Jesus is, so are we in this world. What does that mean? Here's what it means. When I got born again... I was born of noble seed. I've got God's DNA in my spirit. My flesh still has Fred Whitman's DNA in it. But what happened is the Holy Spirit adopted me as his son. He adopted my body. Now, legally, God is my father spiritually, and I have the same natural father as Jesus had. 
That's why it says in Romans, turn over to Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 14. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit adopted us. He adopted your body. So now you are exactly like Jesus in legal standing. You, are, you have the DNA of God in your spirit because you're born again. You're born of the Spirit with noble DNA seed. Yeah, your flesh, you still had natural DNA in your flesh, but you know what? The Holy Spirit adopted you, so now you have the exact same legal standing as Jesus had. You don't have a natural father here anymore. Turn over to Matthew 23, 9. Now, well, maybe we'll understand this scripture. My daddy always told me, oh, see, that's why, you know, the Catholic Church is wrong because you shouldn't call anybody father. That ain't what it's talking about. Look at read this, 23, 9, Matthew 23, 9. It says, and call no man, and that word no man your, see what in the Greek here, I'm going to spell out to you what the word is. H-U-M-O-N, human. Call no human father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. When you got born again, your daddy is no, I don't belong to Fred Whitman anymore. He's not my daddy. My daddy, I spiritually, I have the same father as Jesus had, the father God. Naturally, I was adopted by the Holy Spirit. My body now belongs to the Holy Spirit. I have the same father. I don't have a natural father, and my natural father is the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus' was. Look over in 1 Corinthians 6. First Corinthians six and verse nineteen. He says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Born of the flesh and born of the spirit. Yep, you're born of the flesh, born of the spirit, and the Holy Ghost has paid, Jesus paid the price so that the Holy Ghost could adopt you. That's how come we can have an inheritance here on the earth. Because my natural father now is the Holy Ghost. I don't have his DNA like Jesus did, so that's why I can't experience everything that Jesus did with the full measure of the Spirit. But as a body, we can because we're the body of Christ. When we all come together, we can have the Holy Spirit without measure just like Jesus did. So I don't have the physical DNA like Jesus did, but I've got the same legal standing as Jesus did because the Holy Spirit adopted my body. Okay? That's how we can be the same as Jesus is. Because we're the same born of the Spirit, same daddy born of the Spirit, incorruptible seed. Yeah, I was born of the flesh to somebody else, but now I was adopted. That's how those two things... See, it looks like it's... Oh, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. No, no. No, it doesn't. Now, um, you're in 1 Corinthians, right? Flip over to 15. Verse 45, it says this, And so it is written, The first man, Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first Adam was made a living soul. He had a spirit. Let me ask you, could Adam, did, did Adam sin? We all know Adam sinned. Could he? He could. Okay. So when he sinned, what happened was he became from a living spirit to a living soul. He lost his spirit. His spirit died. The only thing living that separated him from the animals is that he had a soul. That's where the human race is. It's dead. Jesus was the firstborn from that so that we don't have to be in that condition anymore. 
Okay? Now, now look at it says, now the last Adam, that's talking about Jesus, says he was a quickening or a live spirit. His spirit was alive. Now we know, did Jesus sin? No. Could Jesus sin? Could he have? Absolutely he could have. Because listen, let me put it to you this way. Did Jesus have to deal with the lust of the flesh? Did he ever have to deal with the lust of the eyes? And the pride of life? Sure he did. Look over, you know, uh, over in Luke 4 when Jesus was tempted, right? If, it was, if, if he couldn't sin, if Jesus couldn't sin, then there couldn't be a temptation. Because if I said, you know what, Jeff, I'm going to tempt you to walk through that wall, would you be tempted to walk through the wall? Why? Because you can't walk through the wall. There's no temptation to do something that you can't do. Right? Um, in uh, Luke 4 and verse 3, it says, And the devil said unto him, If you be the Son of God, command this stone to be made bread. Now, this is after Jesus has been in the wilderness 40 days. He's hungry. Voice of the flesh. Feed me! Feed me! He said, Make this stuff uh, bread. And Jesus said, it is written that man should not live by bread alone, but every word of God. So the lust of the flesh, yeah, he had to deal with the voice of the flesh. He's saying, feed me. What's the next one? He took him up into a, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, right? He said, if you worship me, I'll give them to you. Voice, uh, lust of the eyes, voice of advertising. Look how good all these kingdoms are. They could be yours. And then what's the next one? Pride of life. Yeah, throw yourself off the temple. Uh, you know, your father won't even let your uh, foot be dashed. You know, all the angels will come down. You're the man. Pride of life. You're the man. You can go ahead and do that. She said, no, no, no. He had to deal with that. Now, he had to deal with, so we know he had to deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, because he was son of man and son of God, but what made him the son of God was that he was born of the Spirit, just like you are. Because as Jesus is, so are we. Okay? I'm going to tie this up here in a minute, I think. Hope. Because y'all are like, oh boy. Okay, let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever have to deal with ungodly thoughts? You mean he thought ungodly thoughts? Well, I can't believe that. Of course he did. Remember when he was talking to Peter? And he said, who do you say I am? He said, you're Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. He said, only Father could reveal that to you. He said, now, now i got to go be sacrificed. And Peter said, no, no. And what did he say? Get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. He was taking that first thought, you don't have to die. It was an ungodly thought. Bang, he nailed the first thought. That's all it was, was an ungodly Satan, get out of my mind. I'm not having it. He has to deal with it exact same way you have to deal with it. What I want you to understand is that Jesus was here and he dealt with the exact, he was a man. He dealt with everything that we deal with. The only thing that made him God while he was on the planet was that he was the son of God by, nat, by uh, naturally, or I'm um, spiritually, he had God's DNA. Naturally, he was the Holy Spirit, was his father. We're in the same position now. When we, we're in the same exact position as Jesus was. That's why he was the firstborn from the dead. I'm like the 10 billionth from the dead or whatever. I don't know what the, the numbers are now. But wherever we fell in order, it really doesn't matter. He was the first one, and we're all the exact same. That's how he could say we're the same as Jesus. He had to deal with this planet the same way we have to deal with it. Yet he didn't sin. You know what that tells me? We don't have to. We have the same ability that he had. Can I, I'm not talking about walking on water right now. I'm talking about dealing with the lust of the eyes, lust of the pride of life, ungodly thoughts. What's the next one? Did he have to deal with his emotions? Yeah. Did he, was Jesus ever scared? Was he afraid? You think maybe he doubted in his mind? You betcha he did. What else? Did, did, he, did, Jesus always, did his will always match up with God's will? Was his will, you know, you know, if I'm asking you the question, you know the answer. Is not, I mean, you know, because I'm, I'm like a prosecutor up here, right? I'm not going to ask you a question I don't know the answer to, right? But no, his will didn't match up with God. He had to make his will match up with the Father's. He had to deal with life the same way you did. 
Look over in Hebrews 4. See, we're, I'm laying this foundation because when we get to the exceeding greatness of His power, there's some stuff in that that is going to absolutely blow your mind if we can't understand this first. We can't jump right to that. We've got to build. It's going to be progressive. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Now, how can that be? Jesus, was Jesus married? Now, I know He wasn't tempted to yell at His wife then. So what's this talking about? What's talking about is he had to deal with his flesh just like you have to deal with it. He had to deal with his mind just like you had to deal with it. He had to deal with his emotions just like you do, and he had to deal with his will matching up with God's will the same way that we do. The same exact way. Could Jesus have gotten sick? Absolutely he could have gotten sick. He was here on the planet just like you. He had to deal with all the same exact stuff. He was here as a man. The thing that made him a son of God is the exact same thing that makes you a son of God. We're in the exact same position. See, we have this idea that Jesus was down here as God. He wasn't omnipresent. He wasn't omniscient. He wasn't omnipotent. He was a man in the flesh, dealing with life the exact same that you and me are. No different. Especially now that you're... Everybody been born in the flesh, raise your hand. Everybody been born? If you've been born again, raise your hand. You're the same. Then you're the same as Jesus was, because he was born of the flesh and born of the Spirit. Yeah, the only difference was Jesus got them both at the same time when he came out the birth canal. He was both at once. That's why we had to be born again. Because we had two separate births. Flip over a page to Hebrews 5. Now this is good. Hebrews 5.5, 5, it says this, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son... Today have I begotten thee. And he said also, in another place, thou art a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, that's when Jesus was actually living here, those 34, 36, or 38 years that he was here on the planet, okay? How many ever, because it says that they estimated his age to the nearest middle half decade. So they estimated his age till he was 35. He could have been 33, he could have been 35, he could have been 30, okay? So how many ever years, and he was in his 30s, that he was here in the flesh, that's what it's talking about, in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard that he feared. He feared? Jesus feared. You know what he feared? He feared going to the cross. Not just going to the cross, he feared that all the sin of the world was going to be put on him. He feared all the sin, he feared going to hell. Well, how did he know that? Because he was God? No, you know how he knew it? The same way we know it. He read the Word. He read every prophecy in there that, that uh, pertained to him. He read the Word inside. That's how he could teach as he had authority. Not because he was God, because his spirit was alive. And he read the Word. Do you remember when um, uh, you know, he was 12 years old? And they went up to uh, Passover or whatever, and then Mary and Joseph, and they all left, and he stayed at the temple, and like a day later they figured out. Well, he said, no, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Was he obeying his parents? He was obeying his daddy. He wasn't obeying his stepdaddy and his mama. Let's turn over. um, Hold your finger right there. We're going to come right back to that verse. I think it's in Luke we want to go. Yeah, turn over to Luke 22 and verse 39. 
And it says, And he came out and went, as he went, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and kneeled down, and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. His will was not to go to the cross. His flesh didn't want to go there. His emotions didn't want to there. How do you know? Because look, it said, And there appeared to him an angel that came from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And the sweat, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. He was sweating it so bad, it looked like blood falling out of his body. Because his flesh did not want to go there, and his mind did not want to go there. Now, did he say, Father, if it be thy will? No, he already knew what the will of the Father's was. He didn't go, you know, oh, if it be thy will. No, he said, if you're willing, Father, take it away from me. But I know what your will is, and I'm going to go do that, not mine. So this, if it be thy will, that's, you can't find that anywhere in the Bible. No one ever said, if it be thy will. Jesus never said it. He already knew what the will was. You know how he knew what the will of the Father was? He went to the Word and found out. He knew where he was going. He didn't want to go there. His flesh did not want to go there. Boy, his mind did not want to go there. His emotions didn't want to go there. He said he feared. He feared. Flip back over to Hebrews where we were. We'll start in verse 7 again so we can get a running start on this, okay? Who in the days of, fle- of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in him that he feared, though he were a son. Though he were a son. Did it say though he were the son? No, he said he was a son. Though he were a son. You know what it says in John 3.16 that, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Because he was the only begotten son at that time. No one could be born again until Jesus was raised from the dead. Now Paul says he was a son. He didn't say he was the son. He's a son. You know why? Because there's a whole lot more sons out there. Capital S. Yes, you are capital S son. You're the same as Jesus is. He says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. Well, I thought Jesus was perfect. What do you mean he had to learn obedience? If he had to learn, did that mean he had it down pat from the get-go? You mean he had to learn obedience? What are you talking about? He had to learn it just like you and I have to learn it. And how did he learn it? Through the things he suffered. Maybe he had this idea that Jesus was like a perfect kid or whatever. You know, he was a baby running around. Look, we got to, t- you know, Michaela's learning obedience because she doesn't know right from wrong. Well, I have to teach it to her. Is she sinning? No, she doesn't know. Man, if you are Mary and Joseph to be entrusted with the firstborn from the dead, Now listen, your kids, when they're born again, they're just like Jesus. You're entrusted. Because my kids, they don't belong to me anymore. When Michaela, when she gets born again, she will, but Jack and Drew, they've already been adopted by the Holy Spirit. You know what that means? That means I don't have to pay for college. I'm not their daddy. (laughs) I don't have to pay for braces. God does. But he's entrusting me the same way he entrusted Mary and Joseph. What a big deal. Man, don't take it lightly teaching your kids obedience. Don't take it lightly. Jesus had to learn obedience. If we're the same as Jesus, we've got to learn it. And we've got to teach it to our kids. That is a big deal. And it says this, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Wow. Now, because he had to deal with fear, and he had to get, learn the word just like we learned the word. Turn over to John 11. 
When Lazarus died, let's just read the word. Okay. Let's go up to 14. Then Jesus said unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> they just heard, the, it's like, oh, he must be sick. Now Lazarus is dead, tells the disciple. He said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then he said to Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto the fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Hey, there's Thomas, man. He's like, all right, they're going to kill him. They go to Lazarus. It's a trap, man. They're trying to set him up. He's like, no, Lazarus is dead. Let's go. And Thomas like, oh, let's go. We'll die too. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain him already in the grave four days already. Already been four days this guy's been dead. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you ask of God, he will give it to thee. You're the same as Jesus is. You are the same as Jesus is. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again into the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? talking about the zoe life of god you will never you can you're not dead this guy's dead in the grave four days he said now nah, even though it looks like he's dead he ain't dead and she said unto him yea lord i believe that you are christ the son of god which shall come into the world and when she said so she went away and called mary her sister secretly saying the master has come and he calleth for thee now did he say mary where are you no she's like you need to go talk to him because he's lost <laughs> mary go talk to him and as soon as she heard that, she quickly arose and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town and the place where Martha met him. And the Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out and followed her, saying, She goeth out to the grave to weep. So now she's got an entourage. Really, she's going to go meet Jesus. And when Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping came with her, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. Now, why would he groan in his spirit and be troubled? Why? Had he ever raised anybody from the dead to have been dead for four days? Had it ever been done before? It had never been done before. Never. Jesus has to deal with the flesh and the mind and the feelings just like you and I do. He's not just laying hands on some blind guy now. He's got a guy who's dead four days. Now, he listened to his spirit small ass that told him not to go there because God had a different plan. And I believe that this was a test run for Jesus. Because Jesus had to be in the grave three days. Never been done before. You know what I'm saying? I'm seriously. Never been done before. So he's trusting God that you'll get my flesh out of, out of hell after three days. God did him one better. He said, four days. Jesus, four days. I'll do you one better. You go in there and you call this guy up and we'll raise him from the dead four days so you, you, your flesh will know and your mind will know that it can be done because it had never ever been done before. No one had ever gone four days. Why would his spirit be groaned if he already... Because he didn't know everything. He wasn't omniscient. He couldn't see the future. 
He only knew what his spirit told him. When he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit telling his spirit, his spirit told his mind, that's what he knew. That's how he could prophesy. He operated in all the gifts of the spirit. That's how he knew the woman at the well. It wasn't because he was like, oh God, and I know everything. He got it the same way we have to get it. He operated the same exact way that we did. We're the exact same as Jesus is. See, we'll start to respect his, what he did more. Because you know what you have to deal with in life. And where we mess up, he had the same ability to mess up in those spots. But he didn't so that we could have the life that we have. How dare us be just sinners saved by grace? How dare us? Jesus, as a man, came here and did it. He pulled it off. Became sin. Became sickness. Became poor. So we didn't have to live like that. How dare us live that way? We are ripping his... We are noble. We're of noble seed. We're the same as Jesus is. The exact same. Turn over to John 10. We're going to finish early today, but it's all right. We're right in John 11, so back up one. Verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. You're the same as Jesus is. Listen to me. You are the exact same as Jesus is. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Born of the Spirit, born of the flesh, you're adopted. We have the same natural Father, the Holy Spirit. We have the same spiritual Father, Father God. The same. No man, verse 18, taketh it from me, but I lay it down for myself. No man can kill you. No sickness can kill you. No disease can kill you. There is not one thing on the planet that can kill you. Only you can lay down your life. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. You do. No one else can take it from you. It's the Zoe life of God. You're the same as Jesus is. How dare us just be sinners saved by grace. Worms in the dirt for Jesus, trying to be humble. You better start acting like a king. Nobody can kill you. Nobody can take your life from you. You give it and you take it back up just like Jesus is because you've got the same spiritual father and you've got the same natural father because of the spirit of adoption. No more of this, oh, I don't know. Oh, I'm just trying to get along and make it to heaven. Oh, I'm just saved. No, you're born of the Spirit just like Jesus was. You're the Son of God just like Jesus was. He was a son and you are a son. Yeah, we have to learn obedience. Yeah, we have to deal with our flesh. Yeah, we have to deal with our minds. So what? Jesus did too. You think, oh, what about the sin nature? Oh, okay. Turn over to Hebrews 10. (laughs) Thought we were going to be done early, but I guess we're not. Now we'll go to Hebrews 9 first. Hebrews 9 and verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth and purifying the flesh. What? Blood of bulls and goats will sanctify and purify the flesh? Yeah. He said that's how they, that's how they still stayed alive in the Old Testament because they would make sacrifices of goats and bulls and that purified your flesh. Now, the only reason they had a sin, a sin nature, what's the sin nature? Your spirit's dead. And what did he do? He had to take care of the flesh to keep your flesh alive long enough, right, so you could live out life here on the planet by the blood of bulls and goats. If that'll purify your flesh, he says, look at this, how much more, in verse 14, shall the blood of Jesus Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You've got no sin nature. If the blood of bulls and goats can purify your flesh, right, 
The sin nature is that your spirit's not alive. Jesus took care of that. You're born of the spirit now, and now he's not just purged your flesh, he's purged your spirit of an evil conscience, of a dead conscience. It's gone. You don't have sin nature anymore. You don't have it anymore. It's not in you. If you go drumming it up and looking for it, it's still not in you. You're just hooking up with it. It's not in you. You're hunting it down. You're trying to make it part of your life. It's not in you anymore. That's why it says if you continually commit sin, you can't be born again. You can't be. Impossible. Just like it's impossible for sickness to kill you. It's impossible for any man to kill you. You are bulletproof. Impossible. Because if it goes through you, you get healed up. If a bullet goes through my heart, I don't care. It's not my heart keeping me alive. It's the Zoe life of God. So the same fact, sin nature, I don't have it. Because I'm not a living soul. I'm a living spirit now. Adam had the sin nature. He lost his spirit. Jesus got it back from me. He was the firstborn of the dead, and I'm like the 10 millionth or 10 billionth born, and y'all are in there somewhere. Amen. You don't have sin nature anymore. Let's keep reading. In Hebrews 10, verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered. Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more consciences of sin. He said you wouldn't have conscience of sin under the blood of bulls and goats, so they had to keep doing it. It would just keep pushing it back. But the blood of Jesus, you have no more conscience of sin. None. It's gone. Because your spirit's alive unto God. It can't, you're, you got the life of God on the inside of you, the same as Jesus did. Can you sin? Yes. Should you? Absolutely not. We have the same authority, the same power that Jesus has. And when we walk in that, then we get to enjoy our inheritance of riches, honor, and life. We don't have to cave to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We don't have to. Yet do we have to deal with it? Absolutely. Is it a struggle? See, we thought that because you struggled that that was sin. No, 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 no. Jesus struggled. Oh, boy, did he struggle. So much so that his spirit was groaning within him. He was sweating drops of blood because he didn't want to do what God told him to do. He had to learn obedience just like you and I did. So, no excuse, oh, well, he was God. He's no more God than you are. He's no less God than you are. You are the Son of God and the Son of Man, just like Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Zoe, life of God on the inside of you. Let's start living like kings. We ain't sinners saved by grace. We're kings. We're kings. Stand to your feet with me and we'll pray in just a minute. (coughs) Heavenly Father, seal this word in our hearts. I know this was uh, some kind of hard stuff today, Father, but just bring, uh, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for explaining it and bringing, bringing more light as each of us study it out on our own this week. If we have questions, to just get in the Word for ourselves and study it out and that you would just bring that spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge and that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding so that we can begin to understand and truly respect and honor what Jesus did for us. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.